everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and with me today, making her Total Soccer Show debut, I do believe, is Christine Cupo of the Juventus Twitch channel, the English one, I should stress. Unless, do you speak Italian, Christine? I do speak Italian, cool. although I'm quite rusty, and I think that they anticipate that I should get up to speed very quickly. <laughs> wow. How, so how many languages do you have under the belt? Uh, well, so English, uh, Italian. That checks out. That uh, checks out. Spanish to um, I'm, I can read, write, understand. I'm kind of slow on the speaking portion. Um, and some French. Wow. All right. I speak English, and I can sort of read Latin. Uh, thanks, high school. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I've got going on, which is why I guess uh, it's good to have you here to talk about uh, Syria somewhat, but mostly Juventus, because uh, obviously you uh, are doing the Twitch stream about Juve, the English one for now, uh, but you are a Juventus fan. You've been following them for quite some time, I would assume, certainly for the entirety of this season. A rough one to start with, but how's that been? How has this season been in terms of your overall Juve fandom? Is it one of the worst? I am concerned for my mental health, but <laughs> I have persevered and have made a few Poor decisions to rewatch some of the worst matches yeah, just for uh, tactical perspective instead of me just screaming at the screen like a lunatic. Um, but it's been it's been a rough go. I think that we probably could have um, had a better approach in terms of setting expectations in the beginning of the season. I think that the sort of the general messaging was on par with you know, what Juve would normally put out, management, Agnelli, um, that, you know, the hope was for our 10th straight Serie A title. And I just think that in the whirlwind of everything that transpired with Pirlo being appointed, uh, not anticipating a pandemic because who had, um, it was just, it was a lot. And I think that we have a very, um, our fan base expects a lot. Yeah. And that won't ever change. So I think that, you know, maybe expectations could have been a little bit closer to reality and we could have framed it better as a rebuilding season, perhaps. With that in mind, you mentioned that there was hope for a 10th title. To some extent, the way the reaction I've seen to the way this campaign has gone makes it seem more like it was an expectation of a 10th title. And I think, in my mind, bringing back Buffon at an advanced age sort of seemed like a, hey, we'll get you one last title, you'll be part of winning 10 in a row, we'll send you off. Even Pirlo, a little bit, is a, eh, we don't need a world-class manager or a proven manager at that level. We can just you know roll the dice, figure something out. We're Juve, we'll win. Do you think there was an element of complacency there, or am I being overly critical from the start? No, I think that it was sort of a conflation of things. I, I don't think that Pirlo's appointment was due to complacency in terms of like, oh, we don't need someone. I think that in an extremely atypical series of events, we acted we like I'm on like I'm on the team there. <laughs> I was anyway, going to let it slide. I was going to let it slide. They consulted me. Um, no. So Agnelli and company uh, did something extremely atypical for Juve and made a perceptively extremely emotional decision to can sorry. And I think from there it became um, perhaps uh, the ability to secure the manager that they wanted at the time, which question mark, I'm not even going to begin to um, hypothesize who that had been, but I have some ideas. Um, and they basically promoted Pirlo from U23's coach, fresh 
just under three weeks appointment to first team. And I think that that was a fix due to now what we're seeing, um, a lot of financial issues that were only starting to crop up. Um, we had still been paying um, Allegri. There was a lot of stuff going on at the time. And I think that they intended Pirlo to be sort of a temporary fix, not a, a forward-looking thing. And then I think maybe they did have a little bit of faith in him. Um, but again, I think that I wasn't alone in sort of worrying that we don't – he's an untried mm-hmm. manager in every possible sense of the word. Like he published his uh, thesis yeah. like, you know – two weeks after he had been appointed already. So he didn't even really have his complete badges. But um, I think that he got handed an, an extremely strenuous task uh, as a first-time manager. And, and everything else just sort of conspired against us this season. So we are going to get to uh, the close of the season where we are now with Juve outside of the Champions League places for now. We'll see how it plays out. But I I want to (laughs) go back to the beginning of the season for a little bit longer because if they got rid of uh, Maurizio Sarri to bring in somebody and then that somebody doesn't materialize, so they bring in Pirlo, to me that means they weren't necessarily sure what was going to happen, but they were sure they did not want Sarri there anymore. Why do you think he was – and maybe maybe this is a very – Easy answer, but for me, I'm like not paying nearly as much attention to Juve as you do. Uh, I'm wondering, what was it about Sarri that was so untenable? What what was it that made him so unpalatable to Agnelli and uh, the rest of the Juve front office? Um, so first I'll say that um, there are parts of that question that even I can't really fathom because when you take a manager like Sarri, you understand Sarri ball. And you understand that that's a system that takes time and very specific personnel to work. So it's certainly not a one, two season experiment whereby you just ditch it all and toss it out the window. But with that being said, uh, toward the end of Sari's tenure, it was an issue of um, players, just overall disagreement and unhappiness with Sari. And on top of that, um, Champions League. so uh you can see how now that we've come full circle toward the end of this season um where it's kind of illuminating a lot of things Uh, and that that's why i especially consider that entire series of decision making to be largely emotional and reactive not well thought through and much has been made of his comment about how, uh, like, you can get rid of me, but this side is untrainable. Uh, I, I, I can't remember if that was a big thing at the time. Again, perhaps it was for Juve fans. But how much truth do you put in that knowing how this season has gone? Because I'm still not sure if it's a Pirlo problem, if it's an Agnelli problem, if, if it's a squad problem, or if it's a combination of all of them. And sorry, was indeed correct that maybe things are just sort of untrainable at the moment. I would say it's it's a they're all equal contributors, I think. Okay. But um, I certainly wouldn't point to solely personnel. Um, I think that for for what Sari wanted to do, I think that yes, like those not all of those players would have worked within that system. And I think that due to cash flow issues, they probably would only let him do so much. But remembering that we also played a significant amount of money for Ronaldo. Um, you don't do something like that. And granted, like the pandemic was 
unforeseen by everyone because how would we have even Mm -hmm. but um you you certainly don't spend that money on a air quotes rebuilding year essentially um to not really progress It, it just it's crazy how it kind of became like snowball into boulder So, I, and I think that's that makes a lot of sense to me because when you have little moments that don't seem like they're getting addressed or fixed, they tend to spiral. And for me, that's like, uh, like I'm a Manchester United fan. I, I think I get teased for mentioning that every show, but sometimes we have new listeners <laughs> and they might not know. Uh, but I've, I've, I've long held that them not having a technical director made them a less productive team, a less successful team. And I was sort of going to be less enthusiastic about them until they did get a technical director. For you at the start of this season, was there a player you didn't want in the team anymore? Or was there a signing that you particularly did want? Were there things that happened that made you think, oh, this could be a good season? Or uh, contrastingly, were there decisions made that made you think, we might be in some trouble here? I think that I started out optimistic. I was the most excited about McKinney and then Chiesa. Mm-hmm. McKinney, because I, one, I love him, but mostly because I feel like he plays how I wish I could play. Um, He's sort of this multi-utility player. He's very talented. But unfortunately, at Schalke, he didn't get to be the player that he could be because he was too busy doing all of the things, wearing all of the hats. Um, So if there was anything good to come from the pandemic, it was that you know, Schalke required liquidity and needed to get rid of him and Juve got him at a steal. Um, and just sort of seeing that happen and understanding sort of what Pirlo first saw as his system that he wanted to be playing, um, seeing how well McKenney would sort of function within that and how much he did, right? When when they tried to play as intended, um, McKenney is a thousand percent the right guy for that job in that system. Um, so for me that, that was like, yes, we're doing a good thing. It's finally going to take sort of this extra weight off his shoulders and maybe he'll get to be the bright star that he should be. Um, Chiesa, um, you know, a lot of criticism from sort of prior seasons at Fiorentina and otherwise, and, you know, it, does he have sort of big fish, small pond syndrome? Is he really going to be this star player? If you bring him to a big club, is he going to sort of just think um, playing beside a player like Ronaldo, like, you know, what's the dynamic going to be like? And there was so much hype for him and he started and I feel like he got sort of a slow start this season. And he, I started to even question myself where I was like, maybe I really overhyped him. Um, but once he sort of sprung to life, he's been unstoppable. Like the man is on fire. He wants to work. You can see it in his eyes, the way he plays, um, super talented. And for the latter part of the season, probably, I guess, no, I'd say mid through now, um, he's been a key player. So I feel like, yeah, we're, we're kind of getting our people together. We're figuring it out. My concerns, though, for the season were we still have the uh, dichotomy of the Ronaldo gift slash problem. Because one, you put a, a major, major player into the team that we need to both work with and sort of um, figure out what, where the chemistry is, how we're doing this. But we also needed work within the midfield. Um, like we don't have a 10, truly. 
Um, and some of that kind of got overlooked, I think, or maybe it didn't. And it was just a matter of like, hey, we're not spending now. But we've been constantly looking and looking and looking. Anybody that we could get on loan, we did. This was definitely a loan season. Um, had Ramsey, um, still have Ramsey. I don't know why I said had Ramsey. I think it's the anticipation that we won't have Ramsey anymore. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think that when you started to see a lot of the inconsistency where the, we have matches that you would logically, as a, an educated person who has watched forever, um, would expect to be an easy win where we were losing and vice versa, that I think I started to worry because there was seemingly no fix for some of those issues. Match over match, you saw Pirlo sort of try to make incremental changes where he could. Um, and, you know, sometimes we would win. And it would be an ugly win and a win nevertheless. And sometimes we would lose and it would be an extraordinarily ugly loss and for no reason to smaller teams, no less. So um, that was kind of where I realized we have a huge problem um, aside from just dealing with, you know, the packed fixture schedule of injuries and also just COVID cases popping up where we have a player in quarantine and back on the field, the same things every other team was doing. But I think that for us, it was a little bit hard, harder to shoulder because we did have a first year manager, too. And maybe some players not necessarily respecting quarantine. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but, <laughs> but but first, I wanted to ask about Pirlo's system and style, uh, just to kind of lay the groundwork for where we are now. Uh, you, you mentioned McKenney sort of fitting into his style and philosophy. W- how would you describe that? Not even necessarily in terms of like the formation he prefers, but just is it is it more attacking? Is it high pressing? Is it possession based? Is it sitting deep and countering? If you're sort of giving so, us the cliff notes for him, what's it going to be? <laughs> the cliff notes version is he foresees or maybe he thought I don't know where he stands at this point it's really unclear based on how we're playing oh god um but it was possession based um creating space a bit of pressing but certainly um counterattack leaning he wanted more um utility from both um defensive players um but yeah like the the way that he laid it all out makes it sound beautiful and it should be. Um, and that's largely why I say like McKenney is definitely one of those players because nobody is going to argue despite injury or otherwise, or some of his poor decision-making as of late um, that he's not one of the hardest working out there. Um, I just, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I would love to see this all work out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and I, I am wondering what happens with Pirlo after this season, but for now, uh, Pirlo is like, I think some of your colleagues were arguing that he was maybe putting himself in a stronger position for other coaching jobs by pointing some fingers and throwing some blame at different players. One of those being McKinney, who he criticized for a lack of professionalism. How are you feeling about McKinney's uh, inaugural season with Juve? And do you think he needs to worry about next season and where he fits into the team? I think, quite frankly, he was one of the quickest to join the team and start performing. And if I had to rate players, I'd put, he'd, I'd put him in the top two for the season for just overall performance. I think that any of the other criticisms, like you're not going to have the same, the same player when you're working them, you know, what every three days they're playing essentially when you figure it out, um, hip injury or not, um, just, I think the Champions League goal was sort of his, like, hey, I'm here. And um, Italy, I mean, 
even teeny they they all love him or loved him but again like we are a fickle crowd so <laughs> um i i wouldn't put him in sort of a a space where i know there were rumors obviously that you know oh just sell him off etc whatever i i think he's too valuable just because he is capable of um far more than most for especially for his price tag I mean, also, like, I'm kind of a McKinney diehard, so I'll defend him, I'll defend him no matter what. You're even not when alone he's on that dumb one. Things, although he's absolutely grounded, but whatever. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so if McKinney isn't the issue, then it doesn't need to worry about his spot. Let's talk about some of the players who maybe do, because we are, as I said, I think uh, still with a couple games to play, Juve in fifth, so they could still qualify for the Champions League. And maybe that's the, the, the way to go with this is... To me, like, and again, this is coming from my fandom, like missing the Champions League one season isn't as big of a deal. But if you're Juventus and you maybe expect to be there, maybe too much, maybe Super League factoring into that. Uh, like, like how big of a difference do you think this summer will be or how different will it be if they finish fourth versus if they finish fifth? Well, I mean, I feel like that kind of the the potential for them not to finish fourth, which as much as I keep grasping to this could happen, realistically, I'm counting now as a non-possibility. Hmm. Um, because <laughs> we have uh, Milan that essentially just need one more win to book their ticket for Champions League, and they're facing Calgary. And I'm assuming already they're winning that. Um, and Atalanta... Um, is going to be their final match, which I think they'll lose, but Atalanta are going to beat Genoa. Mm -hmm. So that kind of solidifies mathematically that Juve will come in fifth, which means that we will not have a Champions League spot, will be Europa League. And um, that changes an entire ecosystem, right? Because you're not going to have uh, Cristiano Ronaldo playing in Europa's. Um, that wage bill is far too large. Um, people are concerned that it's going to be um, persuasive in keeping players that desperately want to play for a large club and do the whole Champions League thing from joining. I don't know how prohibitive that'll be. I think that that might change some things in terms of like the rumored um, transfer for Donnarumma or mm. the Donnarumma brothers, which is kind of funny because – Yep. <laughs> um, I wish I had a sibling that could just tack me along. I'll play for the like <laughs> U23s at 30 something. Like what? Um, it's a good gig. It's a good gig for uh nepotism. Give me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a lot to consider. I think. Um, and then the argument of course is, you know, how, how do you, how do you stay the course with Pirlo when you dismissed? Sorry. Um, over something much smaller in sort of this universe. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I think that obviously Juve are dealing with significant financial issues and that was sort of magnified by their participation in Super League or now the defunct Super League that lived for two days, RIP. Um, and they'll have to pay whatever fine I think that they agreed to as of last Friday, but it doesn't sound like that legal battle's over. <laughs> no, it does not. It seems, I think I read today 
that now like Juve or maybe Barca or Madrid's lawyers are arguing that like you can't actually punish us. I think I, I, it seems like they're holding out in trying to make sure that they don't get kicked out of the Champions League. Even if they qualify, maybe that's the way to do it is just don't protest it, get kicked out of the Champions League by UEFA, and then you have justification. Then you can blame right. UEFA for, for not qualifying as opposed yeah. to this our sought after Champions League trophy that yeah. we're now just gonna say we were just kidding. We didn't want that. Yeah. No. Why do you think we that. wanted that? <laughs> so yeah, with with well, how are you feeling about the club as a whole then with that Super League? Because that's another one where I'm sort of struggling to like come to terms with like this team that I like that doesn't really seem to care much about the people who like them for you. Was that a, a pretty like negative thing to have happen or is it a par for the course when it comes to Agnelli? I, I'm not terribly surprised that it happened. Um, I didn't realize that the situation was quite that dire, that that would be the lever that we're pulling, especially given the series of decisions that were made in concession of champions league. Um, Again, not to continue to point fingers at Ronaldo, but you do not you do not pay all of that money for a 36-year-old to not have the expectation that you're going to suddenly magically win Champions League and also um, the Scudetto again with him. It's just a non-possibility in my mind from a business perspective. So I think that we, we put a whole lot of eggs in one basket – um, it's, it's wild. Like when you think about, um, in hindsight, obviously we're all just geniuses. So that's the easy part, but, um, that was a hell of a gamble, um, yeah. for us to end up where we are. A hundred, hundred million is a decent gamble. Uh, and I think it was James Horncastle. I forget who it was, who was making the argument that like, he is, and I think you're you're making it as well, that he is sort of the solution and the problem that if you are teaching your players, if you're coaching your players to get the ball to Ronaldo and let him find a way to score, or if you're sort of building the attack around Ronaldo, you're not incentivizing, go out there and figure it out yourself, go out there and score goals or solve problems. You're incentivizing, give the ball to Ronaldo. Do you buy into that? And do you think that has been a problem for Juventus this season? Yes. And honestly, I feel like I'm in the minority because every time I mention this, people prepare to riot um, because the arguments that I get back are, but how can you say he's like, he saved us all along? Right. But because he saved us all along and we're having a poor season, no matter what, without him, and we have to look down the road at what without him looks like. He's got one year left in his contract. That's if he even stays at this point, um, knowing the current status of the club, the forward trajectory, what we're doing, whatever, et cetera, who knows. Um, but you created, in my opinion, a larger problem um, because we now have to figure out one financially what we're capable of doing. And two, um, I don't foresee there being a single player that can sort of one for one fill his shoes. So we need to look at more dynamic players that can sort of pick up the slack. Um, and again, it goes back to wages, right? Like I feel like now, again, Super League, Ronaldo, um, without without that going forward, right? So let's assume we remove Ronaldo, not even from a playing perspective, but from a ad dollar sponsorship um, et cetera, Jersey sales in stadium sales perspective, which we already had foregone this season due to COVID. There's going to be an incredible ledge from not necessarily the Juventus supporters, but the Ronaldo supporters 
that got a bump this season due to uh, jersey sales, et cetera, um, that they're going to have to deal with. Um, and that's going to be a massive hit. Um, so I think that the disaster of this season is it's it's gone, you know, at least a minimum of three ways. <laughs> so would you like to see him back next season? Would you like to see the team just get stronger, clear some clear some of the weight off and maybe just look a little bit sleeker, but still have Ronaldo in there? Or is he a player that you'd be OK with them moving on at the end of the season? I if it were me calling the shots. I would, I would remove, I would remove him as soon as I possibly could, whatever the best possible deal I could to increase our liquidity and address the issue. Because realistically, I think that, and sort of what I had said when we first started chatting, um, if you set the expectation that this is a rebuilding year and anyone who can't possibly comprehend that at this point, um, I don't, I don't really know what to, to say to you. Um, but I think that the communication needs to be very clear that, you know what, like we're going to just go forward, like scorched earth, um, and start over whether or not that's with Pirlo at the helm or otherwise, like either give the guy the opportunity to try to do this on sort of a level playing field, i.e. without a pandemic looming, et cetera, um, and see if you can make his system work um, or get somebody else in there, which question marks all around. I don't, I don't even know who I'd really want in there at this point. Um, obviously, Allegri has been rumored, but that's mostly because, you know, he's still in contract. So um, we could always beg him to come back. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's that now? Allegri. He's under contract still. He's still we're still paying him. I'm pretty sure. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not good. Like I said, the, the financial mess, like I'll have to double check, but there's a lot of people. He's been still gone so long. <laughs> there's so many people still on payroll that, um, including sorry, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh yeah that's that's a good that's a good note to end that like, one that's on. the thing is like i don't i don't i never really paid attention too much to like the finances yeah. until they were sort of the primary topic of discussion this season with with the super league thing where you're like how could we possibly be doing that poorly and granted every single league struggled this year because of covid that's understood but for covid to have been the tipping point for some of them that's like a whole other story so I think for me, like get rid of Ronaldo. Like the thing is you can easily have someone who is an extremely elite superhuman player like Ronaldo on your team and make it work. But the way that we've had to utilize him this season just to get by. Um, and obviously this is a huge contrast to like what I feel like has been a good utilization, which is also crazy in 2021 that 39 year old Zlatan thriving at Milan um, his absences are not as impactful as Ronaldo's, whether or not their illness, injury, or his performance are just not showing up. Like it's a night and day and it's reflected in the table now. <laughs> Do you have an idea why that is? Cause they both seem to be like individuals who take their health very seriously. I don't think either one like drinks very much if Zlatan drinks at all. Uh, they, they seem to be very much just about the business of winning and playing soccer at the highest level possible. But I'm with you that when Zlatan is gone, Milan seem to be able to find ways to get results. They change the way they're playing. They change their approach. They bring in different players and they can make things happen. Juve with Ronaldo, it seems the opposite, which goes back to that point of – Maybe he's the problem as well as the solution. Is that uh -huh. is that essentially just it? That he is that sort of vacuum, and however he goes is the way the 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 club is going to go. 
No, not necessarily. I think that that's where a little bit of uh, managerial experience kind of goes a little bit further. Only because Milan, obviously, they weren't doing so great. When we had the COVID restart, they came back hammering, okay? Pioli had changed formation a bit, and he went from his, like, three-man midfield that he was pretty insistent upon and then started doing this double pivot and then rekindled. Like, there were players on that team that they were considering dumping, which would have made sense. Uh, I'm like, I'm not even that smart to have been like, ah, you're wrong, you know? But um, Kessie and Benacer, um suddenly were like new men and nobody could have saw that happening. So we had that little bromance occurring and that was largely both of them functioned way better. Um, when he, when he did double pivot, um, Hakan, uh, John, uh, I always butcher this poor man's name. <laughs> John, Alou, um, he got put behind Ibra, um, which freed him up, which helped him as a player. So he was thriving. Um, Rebic still performing. Tamori. Um, it just was, that was all of it. And then on top of that, once that started to come together better, the chemistry got better. So just like off ball movement, um, anticipating where, you know, your teammates going to be like the way that they were playing changed. And so it was more about um, how the individual functions with one other person, two other people th- within the team. So he kind of created these little systems instead of saying, hey, just give it to Ibra. He'll try to do a sweet bike kick and score more goals. Whereas we have, to Pirlo's credit, he's tried to make adjustments match over match where he could, but I just don't think it's there. That's really interesting to me because I think I was operating under the assumption that maybe this is a bit of a fluke for Milan because we've seen so many false dawns for them and so many, oh, they're back. This is definitely Milan back to their strongest. Oh, never mind. They've dropped to the eighth or something like that. Do, do you have more confidence in them sustaining these types of performances and, and being in and around the top next season as well? I think that if they stay doing what they're doing, like they shored up their defense, they seem to be moving in the right direction. I think that, yeah, I think that they'll they'll be humming along next season too. I think that there are a lot more contenders than there have been in Syria um, comparative to prior seasons, right? So as much as it pains me to say, um, Inter too, who already yeah. has mathematically clinched, celebrated several times over, um, their win for the season. Oh God. Um, they're going to be humming along too, but also Conte, like you really can't discount him. He's, he's actually, he's great. He really is. Um, I feel like you're saying this through gritted teeth. I have to admit. I kind of am. Cause yeah. remember like Conte, like I still count him as, as Juve. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, man, why do you, he essentially has now became the man who both made and, and is just like destroyed Juve. <laughs> it sucks. Well, so yeah, I, I was, <laughs> I'm curious about that though. Like when you're watching him win, when you watch him coach on the sidelines for Inter, I think sometimes with ex-managers, the fan base can go the route of, oh, he got a bunch of players, they had more money, he got really lucky, the refs love them, and it can be sort of dismissed, or there can be a begrudging respect. It seems like you have that begrudging respect for what he's done at Inter. Uh, but yeah, what have you made of, of his performance, and how sustainable is it? Because Conte, as I understand him, seems to be volatile, and that's maybe putting it mildly. 
if you think that Conte is the most volatile, you have not been around nearly enough Italian men. <laughs> um, he, That's he probably is, true. He's, he's a very passionate man. We'll call him that. Uh, sometimes he can be a little crazy. That's fair. But Conte is, I mean, you have to realize too, like, versus even prior seasons, like, it's been 11 years since Inter's won the Scudetto. <laughs> oh yeah and that hasn't been for not trying they've they've desperately tried it's just and this will be my petty statement is that they followed the uve blueprint this time they did things that are characteristically uve and we did things that are characteristically not <laughs> so, so what does that look like uh, well they brought in um <laughs> Marota, who is a uve former ceo um, is that they Beppe? got Beppe? Is that his name? Yeah, Vidal. Okay. They've got Conte over there. So they just started to sort of. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, they really did it. But when you look at the full picture, you realize that they really, really did it. Um, so yeah, that'll be my petty statement. That's not to say that it couldn't have happened otherwise. But they kind of replicated a, a proven model where we kind of just said, like, "Hey, here's what we did." and <laughs> They said, let's let's do it again here. Um, I don't think that um, some of those transitions um, are a coincidence upon them having won this season. Um, but also Conte, no matter where he's been, he's always figured out how to get the best out of a player and not even just that player, but getting certain players to, to be... Mm-hmm better because of their teammates. So like you look at like Lukaku, right? And and you'll probably appreciate this to some extent or you'll hate it a lot because Man United, but um I'm happy for Lukaku. It seems like he's he, he's finally elated. in a good spot. See, this part hurts me too because I'm elated for Lukaku. I think he deserves everything that's coming to him. Um I mean that positively. I know that can sound like <laughs> a little bit dubious. But, <laughs> a little. Um, I hope he, he gets what's coming to him. Yeah, it does sound a little begrudging. <laughs> he suffered with Mourinho not once but twice. <laughs> oh, he did. And he? I, I think that sort of Mourinho is like the antithesis of a Conte. Like Conte has really sort of brought the mm. best out of him. Um, and then it doesn't hurt that he has teammates like Hakimi and Barella who are super talented. And um, also his super strength is probably that he's capable of making okayish players into great players um, just by figuring out like what their strengths are and getting them to work with um, other parts of the team that maybe can kind of amplify that. Um, but he's done it everywhere he's been, you know, like he's pulled two teams um out of relegation, he's like he. Now I'm just like waxing poetic about Conte, but um, I think that what he's figured out for Inter will be easily replicated going forward. Less, of course, Inter another one that are struggling financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Zanetti had basically said like, "Hey, we're we're broke boys," and there wasn't anything ruling out that the, the club would get sold like mid season or something, which recently came to light. Um, so I think that that would be the big thing. But with all the things that I can say great about Conte, um, and there are many, um, his his blind spot or I don't know if 
I'll call it a blind spot because I'm not sure what exactly is going on with him there is Champions League. Yes. Yeah, we talked about it on the weekend review a couple weeks ago, and that wasn't really a thing I knew to be a thing until you research it. And there's no good explanation. Like I've seen some people point out that it's maybe it's tactics and he sticks to it too much. He doesn't deviate. He doesn't change when things don't go his way. But I did not realize how unsuccessful Conte has been in the Champions League as a manager, at least. Do you have ideas on why that might be? I I don't know, uh, but I feel like he doesn't seem to pay much attention or, or give much weight to sort of like the secondary or tertiary leagues. Um, he's very singular minded. And I don't know if it's that he just doesn't care. Like, it's a bizarre thing, because I don't think that out of anything that I've ever read about him or seen him do, I don't think that he really ever provides you with any sort of additional clarity as to like why that's been the case there's certainly no reason that he couldn't have had uh some sort of a decent run it it just it to me points to like just a a lack of interest and i think with with inter as well when you say they followed the uve blueprint i i like I understand that part of that is like bringing over Juve players and Juve front office personnel, but it also, to me, Juventus are the the club that are very good about finding value players, finding free players or players on a free that they then maybe have to pay a little bit more in terms of salary, but they can bring in those quality players for no transfer fee or a very minimal one. Inter doing that to a great degree and bringing in value in Ashley Young, Alexis Sanchez, and Matteo Darmian. Again, Man yes. United says you're welcome. Uh, but yeah, that's Conte sort of reforming those players, finding a way to make them work. But then also sure, Juve... But like also, Darmian was never better. Oh, that's <laughs> I true. I, and I think that that's something that Conte is really capable of doing. And that's why it makes it even less logical that he hasn't had Champions League. Yeah. Well, we'll see if that changes for him next season because he does still have – because even then – Damn it. Like, am I going to put this into the universe and I'm going to be really angry with myself? I, when Inter win the Champions League? Yeah, I think you yeah. will be. But I also think, like, the Juve connection makes sense to me because Juventus will spend money. Obviously, Ronaldo, they will spend money if they identify a player that fits with what they need, whatever that might be. And I think some of the players you've already mentioned for Inter and Hakimi and Barella, I mean, those guys weren't free. Hakimi certainly no, wasn't cheap. So much so that I don't yeah. know if they've even been paid for him yet or if they're able to pay for Hakimi <laughs> that uh, I guess watch this space but so it does seem then like he is following that blueprint and they are having that success do you think that they're able to sustain that because one of the knocks as I understand that on Conte and I think probably why I call him volatile seems like you don't love that classification so I'm really excited to hear what you think about this is I tend to think of him as a manager who is going to burn out at some point the players will get burnout, out they will get frustrated that's the same knock that I think Thomas Tuchel has uh, maybe even Pochettino a little bit. Uh, and I'm wondering if you think that is a likely outcome or if that's maybe an overblown thing because he has that sort of fiery disposition that can easily be misinterpreted as, oh, he's prickly and angry and he doesn't like people and it's all going to blow up at some point. Um, I think that there's a delicate balance and he hasn't crossed that yet. And it also depends largely, in my opinion, on the team of players that you're managing. Um, I, there are certain teams that, that I think Conte would fit and there are teams that he just certainly wouldn't just from a personality perspective. And then you end up worrying about like, you know, at what point do you actually turn into a Mourinho where you're kind of just like a plague that sort of follows teams around. Um, yeah, I I think there's always a chance. I, I, I don't think that he's 
gone full villain yet. I think that his tenacity and his passion is has been sort of understood properly. But yeah, I think that um, to the wrong audiences, I think that, yeah, it could certainly take a left. For this season, I feel like there were many candidates for the villain. It was a multi-horse race. It does seem like <laughs> next season we have our our definitive front runner because Paolo Fonseca will be leaving Roma. Jose Mourinho set to take over. I'm assuming he's going to just solve everything and they're going to play expansive attacking free flowing soccer. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, definitely going to start playing the youth <laughs> and, and for sure, for sure, for sure. Just going to like, it's going to be great. I think that, um, so suddenly, like Smalling will experience a Renaissance with him. Mkhitaryan's going to be doing a little oh, dance no. on field. Um, Those are more former players. I didn't think about that. Those are more players that he was okay with getting rid of that he's now managing. Oh boy! Oh boy! Yeah, I'm right now. I'm, I'm the grimacing emoji. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so I, confused by this. I really um, am. In in all honesty, um, aside from the the known issues and whatnot, I I honestly I feel for Chris Smalling because I feel like he like. I don't know. I feel like Mourinho gets a lot of credit for sort of um, breaking him a bit. And then he did everything that he could short of turning himself inside out to get signed over to Roma. And he did. And now um, the ghost of Christmas past is now like hanging over his shoulder. <laughs> See, I'm not I'm, I'm now checking. OK, his contract expires in 2023. I wasn't buying it, Christine. That felt like a Juve thing where you start to talk about the player and how it hasn't gone well for them. And then suddenly with a year left on their contract, they move on a free. Uh, but yeah. he's got some years before he can become a Juve player. That does feel like a, a one they would have gone for in the past. Do you have any idea aside from the name recognition? Like are Roma looking for a coach that's going to be defensive and give them a little bit of a kick? Or like, do you see any logic to this move? Cause I genuinely, we joked about it on the show as like, there's no chance that's going to happen. Like he, it just, it, when it was, he was floating that he had interest and he had had success in, in Serie A. It didn't seem like it was a realistic possibility. And yet here we are now with one of, uh, one of their biggest clubs. Let's put it this way. All of the football journalists, media writers that are way smarter than me <laughs> had not seen this one coming. Mm -hmm. Everyone really assumed that it was going to be sorry. Yeah. Um, so uh, this was literally just a sideswipe for the collective <laughs> where everybody kind of stopped, scratched their heads. I can understand um, maybe some of the the thought process to like, yeah, but like he's experienced and whatever. But I feel like for me, I can't make it make sense. I, I just I can't. He hasn't been the good Mourinho in almost a decade. Yeah, it's been a while. It, like maybe <laughs> um, he every club that he's been at. So you got to figure right. Like so. All right, fine. So 2008, he was at Inter, which was the last time he was in Syria. Like he left in 2010. Uh, Second season was a treble, which is great. But even their season, on paper, it's great because you won things. But all in, not that great. <laughs> and then from there, he went to Real, then to Chelsea, then United, then Tottenham, and now Rome. Like when I saw the signing, I was like, "Wow, they, he, you know what? Like they already put too 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 many years on paper for him." Um, I 
he every club that he's left are they doing okay like i mean united faring fairly well despite the fact that poor ollie yeah. like i mean um chelsea is seeing finally a reinvigoration but that was after you know <laughs> a couple other options yeah frank years and <laughs> yeah like um, it's taken a while to get back, and I haven't seen any team that he's really managed that's doing well or hasn't been left, like, literally in the trenches um, by the time he's gone. Like, there's nothing but smoke and ash. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's one who I definitely find confusing at this point. Uh, maybe Roma less so, so good luck to them there. Gennaro I mean, Vin- good luck to them, but, like, for the rest of us, like... Hey, this is going to be a little bit entertaining. Yeah. Um, we get like the grumpiest, most cantankerous press ca- releases and, and other, otherwise at him. Also, and this is an aside, like Italian media really don't like him. Really? Yeah, because <laughs> most of them uh, really kind of – their styles don't jive. <laughs> the vibes aren't right, okay? <laughs> like – um, I feel like, uh, Syria, the audiences, the journalists, et cetera, um, sort of demand more of, uh, managers in terms of, um, interviews, comments, et cetera. And I don't think that like, even when he was with Inter, like he was starting to show signs of the him that we have now, um, where he just is like dismissive or doesn't want to answer a question or is like, whatever. Um, and they, they aren't particularly appreciative of that. <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Uh, is Gennaro Gattuso better with those types of things? Cause that's a manager who I also find confusing, uh, including that he's leaving Napoli at the end of the season, despite them being in the champions league places. I could <laughs> <Gattuso>. so, <laughs> Reno, he's, he's a psycho. Um, yeah. but I love him. <laughs> Um, so I feel like they're, they're very different. So I feel like, um, where, where Mourinho is Mourinho and we, we kind of get that like Gattuso is still more, uh, on the spectrum. He's still more a Conti leaning, if that makes sense. (laughs) It does. But why do you think he's leaving? I mean, I think uh, like, it's probably a pretty well-known thing. I just haven't been able to find it or, or seen it. Why is he leaving Napoli? Cause that seems like it's a good situation for him. It seems like he's kind of figured that one out. I wasn't sure he was how good of a manager he was going to be, especially with his time at Milan. Napoli seems to have gone better and yet he's on his way out. So oh, what's sure. the situation like, there? For sure they got better. So like you figure like in 2019 when Ancelotti got sacked um, and that was after he brought Napoli to like the round of 16 in champions league. <laughs> I forgot they sacked him. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, who knew what was going to happen, right? Like, so Gattuso came over and Napoli were like in seventh at that point. And obviously this is a clear improvement. Um, but I think it's been a lot of downplaying um, a major difference in personalities with uh, De Laurentiis. And that will be sort of the end of that. I just think mm-hmm. that despite some of the statements that have been issued where like Dilarentes has been like, yeah, no, he, he's fine by me or whatever. It just seems like it, they're really kind of empty statements and there seems to be a lot of bad blood between the two of them. Um, it's been rumored that he was leaving for 
for some time, like December, January, 2020, like, um, the back and forth. I think that Gattuso is, he's very proud. Um, and I think that obviously he's very passionate and he's very matter of fact about some things like, um, and I think that some of those things are what make him a good manager. Um, especially like his absolutely epic, like sometimes you're good, sometimes you like, yeah. like, um, you're not going to get anything more like blunt <laughs> from anybody else, you know? Um, and it's reality. And I think that he also doesn't have that deficiency where you see sometimes like a lot of hubris where it's like, Oh, like, you know, the, the good stuff is on me, but like any of the negative, um, attributes of the club or how we're playing or our placement in the table. Um, he owns all those too. And so I think that with Gattuso with this specifically, I think that it's probably more of a, like, I'm going out with my head held high kind of a thing. Like I did this, but like, Hey, you know, peace, I'm out of here. Um, I would like to see if, um, recently I saw a rumor that he could potentially go to Fiorentina. Um, and I mean, would kind of like to see that. <laughs> yeah. In terms of bad blood between management and manager, as we have with De Laurentiis and Cattuso, uh, from what I understand, that's also the case for Conte and Agnelli, correct? Yeah, I think that since since sort of taking the helmet inter, um, that's kind of gotten exacerbated. I don't. I think that 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 door is kind of closed. Um, also a lot of the fans are deeply upset with Conte, like well beyond where I'm at. Um, for just coaching Inter or for any We are a very, like just, yeah, in general, and right. some of the interactions this season where they didn't consider uh, Conte as being respectful and the kind of petty little things that people pick up on. Um, and yes, we are like an extremely reactive fan base. And sometimes we do act like petulant children and I'm part of that problem too. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so there's a lot of people with a lot of beef with Conte. So Conte also has a star at the stadium. And at one point there was arguments this season about, like, we need to remove it. Ooh. So. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah. That is, that is some that is some next level like, petulance. Irrespective of anything that transpires now, and this is still my position because I had already had these argu- arguments to exhaustion. Um, he still is a Juve legend no matter what his managerial trajectory is or – you know, where his allegiance a lot is lying. Um, I think that some people just take everything, whether it's his individual personal success or otherwise, or his mannerisms, or again, like how volatile he really is, um, to be sort of an affront to, to Juve and, and certain things, especially with matches that we've had. So, so we have emotions running high. It's it's a fairly uh, tumultuous situation at Juve, is how I'm going to put it's it. It's built right in. It's serious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you – okay, final final question or a couple questions for you. If the Juventus front office is calling you and they're saying, what does this offseason look like for you, Christine, to be happy about things when we start next season, when we have preseason? What are some things you would like to see, both in terms of – keeping or firing Pirlo if the if, if the answer is firing who would you like to maybe see brought in and then who are some players you definitely want to build around who are some players you would be happy if they moved on um so okay. there's a couple questions there yeah I'm like hang on let me keep this straight <laughs> let's, start, let's start with should they keep Pirlo or not um I think that 
barring any better, and I mean like infinitely better solutions um, to stay the course and see if uh, without all of the distractions, the um, the overuse of players, the match schedules, the COVID, the everything, if we can find some sort of an equilibrium that would be on par with what would be anticipated of any sort of first-year manager. Mm-hmm. Um, only because I think that there should be a wealth of experience uh, threefold, if not more, from this season that should have been imparted to Pirlo. Um, he's had to certainly manage a lot more than anyone else, I would argue, this entire season. Um, And so I'd like to see if, you know, what are you truly like as a manager without all of the additional distractions and worries, um, et cetera. Um, In lieu of that, um, who would like my wish list for manager, I would literally take Zizou in like a heartbeat. I think that he would work really well with the team. Um, he's got a proven record. Um, I think that he's extremely intelligent in terms of um, just like managing players, yep. knowing capabilities, getting people to grow, things like that. Um, I think there's no question. But of course, with that comes the problems of wages, et cetera. <laughs> and, if, and with that in mind, are, are there players that if you were to keep Pirlo, you think – don't fit anymore or like bridges have been burned. That's just not going to work. If we keep one, the other has to go. Or do you think most of the squad can still function under Pirlo? Um, we certainly need to make some changes. And, and one of those is we, we really do need like a legitimate 10. We need that player, that pivotal player that can legitimately make the change on, on or, or all the difference at the drop of a hat. And like, we don't really have that, um, I think that, unfortunately, that means we're going to have to figure out what to do with Ronaldo. Um, that would probably also lead to, like, what what is actually Dybala's role in this team? Because he's definitely more of a forward than anything else. Um, we, we, need to, we need to get our midfield sorted, for sure. Um, and we need to address some of the um, the players who are kind of, I don't want to call them old, but, like, getting up there. Um in our defensive line, not that I would dump them because I think we do need some of that sort of, um, that the elders carry with them to impart to some of the new kids. But I also think that this season probably should have been the opportunity to get some of them out front and, and kind of start to impart some of that just sort of starting to transition. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, Obviously, I, I'm still a fan of Murata. Um, I don't know. I feel like Ramsey is going to be a huge question mark, despite the fact that when Ramsey is full Ramsey, I think he's amazing. And, you know, if he goes anywhere, I hope he goes back to Arsenal. Like, bring him home. <laughs> um, if we can figure out how to clone Delict, all of my defensive problems will go away. Um, That'd be a big I step. That'd that, be a big step for you all. Yeah, I let me see if I can call somebody up. <laughs> I, uh, I think that, um, I don't think that there's the risk of, or, or maybe there is, but, um, I think we need to figure out how to better utilize Kulisevsky. Um, cause I don't think that he really has a place. Um, we've kind of been moving him about, which is fine, but I feel like he's most comfortable 
out on the right playing wide and that kind of hasn't worked for us this season. So I feel like Pirlo is experimenting, um, but he certainly needs to find a place. Um, Tech in terms of keepers, I think that the whole Champions League thing is going to be problematic with the Donnarumma's yep. <laughs> um, only because also that's a Mino player. So, Oh no. <laughs> That's no yeah, I, I I think that it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Um, Rabio has been performing again, um, which is great. Bernadeschi is still a question mark for me. Sometimes he just just no. Um, <laughs> just no, just no. Yeah. Well, okay. Then then final question. Uh, I think you were talking earlier about Juve's finances. What do you think realistically they're able to spend? Do you think we're going to see more of the sort of Pjanic, Artur swap deals that look like allow them to look better on paper than maybe they actually are? Are they able to spend some money this summer, do you think? Or is it going to be a work with what we've got and maybe find value where we can sort of summer? I... There's such a necessity for us to do something and that's going to cost money. And I feel like our options now are sit and do nothing and keep everything as is. And that's under the assumption that also Ronaldo is sticking around um, or start, you know, essentially dismantling and rebuilding. I don't think that all the players have to go, but I think that we need to make the fixes that we need to make. And I don't think we're making any impactful signings based on, and I haven't seen any of their financial statements, but um, based on the way that we're sort of sitting here, like pockets turned out, like, help me, I'm poor. Like, I I don't know how grim the outlook is. Well, that seems like a happy note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but two games to go, Juve could still theoretically qualify for the Champions League. If not, it'll be an interesting summer and even, even more interesting uh, next season. Uh, for you, Christine, where can people hear more from you or uh, read more from you? So I am I am always tweeting away on Twitter um, at Cupo, but I am on Juventus Twitch uh, every Tuesday, um, unless, of course, the match schedule switches and stay tuned. But... Um, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, um, English language, and then you can also catch my um, my good friends in Italian at generally every other hour if you want to catch them on their Twitch channel. So it's um, twitch.tv slash Juventus. There we are. Well, Christine Cupo, thank you uh, again for making your debut and for talking all things Serie A, mostly Juve, but a lot of things Serie A uh, with me today. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. It was delightful. Hopefully I uh, didn't bore you to death over there. You did not. I have uh, two pages of notes, which is about (laughs) about standards. So there you go. (laughs) Listeners, thank you all very much for listening. And we will talk to you all again next week.